0: to our God in prayer again. Let's bow our hearts before Him. Uh, Father, we do bow down. You are the King of creation. And You are the King of our hearts. And You are worthy of our worship today. You are worthy of our praise and all honor and glory and power. You are worthy of our ears giving heed to what You have to say. And so as we turn to the text of Your Word, I pray that You would teach us. I pray that we would grow. I pray that we would learn. I pray that we would be convicted as the Holy Spirit works in each one of us. And might we um, be filled with His Spirit so that we would look more like Jesus as a result of encountering Your Word today. We bow down before You. And right now we bow down by turning our attention to what You have to say to us. Please lead us and teach us, we pray. Amen. You know, my, uh, my wife knows me very well. Uh, she knows my, my strengths and she knows my weaknesses. Um, and one of my weaknesses is, is every once in a while I, I have a hard time uh, remembering things. Maybe a little bit more than every once in a while. Um, but in her kindness, uh, because she loves me and wants the best for me, every once in a while she will uh, help remind me of, of things that, that are good for me. And so, for example, a few years ago, I was mowing the lawns or getting ready to mow the lawns, and Angie was leaving, and she, she put the sunscreen out for me and said, don't forget. You, you need to put some sunscreen on today. The heat index is pretty bad, and you don't want to get burned. And so the sunscreen was right there on the table and left out for me so that I would have things taken care of. Well, of course, I forgot. I forgot. And I went out and I mowed the lawn. Not only did I mow the lawn, but I decided, you know, this is a great day out. I pulled weeds. I cleaned out the rocks. I did all kinds of things. I was out in the blistering sun for hours. I still have freckles on my shoulders as a result of that day. Uh, You know, there are times in our lives where you know, sometimes we just have a tendency to not listen. But sometimes we do the same thing in our relationship with Christ, don't we? Sometimes He says, this might be really good for you. Or you might want to pay attention to this small detail or this big detail because this is important for your walk with me. And sometimes, in our relationship with Christ, we have a tendency to fail to listen. We say, life's fine. Spiritually, I'm, I'm fine. And Jesus says, hey, um, you might want to put some sunscreen on that one. You might get burned this time. And, and we continue on our way, living life with confidence that we're spiritually rich when, when the reality is that, that we've bankrupted ourselves. And there are times in our Christian walk where we are living this life of mediocrity and pride, and, and Jesus says, hey, we need, we need to wake up check here. I want you to pay attention. Well, today we're going to conclude our journey through the mailroom of seven Christian churches of the first century at DeWitt Evangelical Free Church, our passion is to reflect the magnificence of our God as we are knowing Christ and making Him known. We are in the business of attributing glory to our great God as we grow as Christ followers and as we develop new Christ followers. Over this last few weeks, we've examined our Savior as He walks in the midst of the churches that were called to this same purpose, to this same mission. And we've seen it as He walks alongside these churches. And He walks alongside our church in order to sustain us, in order to correct us, in order to um, uh, sometimes rebuke us, comfort us, teach us. We've examined seven letters, including this final letter that we're going to look at today. And we've seen that Jesus reveals Himself to the churches and He knows the churches he knows us as we seek to fulfill his mission we've sought to listen to these seven letters and to see ourselves as jesus sees us the challenge is to examine our own lives to examine our church in light of these commendations and in light of these condemnations And to apply Jesus' counsel and His rebukes in our personal lives. And to cling to the mighty promises that He gives to us and to those who have overcome through faith in Him who died on the cross in our place. If we want to bring glory to our God, as we've been singing about today, if we want to do our part in fulfilling His great commission, it is essential. It is essential that we would do the hard thing and that we would find ourselves, that we would look at ourselves in these seven letters, that we would repent when the messages shed light on sin and in our own lives personally and also in the life of our church. And today we're going to examine the final letter. The church of Laodicea. And it's a hard letter. Jesus writes a letter to this church of Laodicea and He offers no compliments. There's nothing. There's no, hey, good job here. Uh, it's just He gets right to the point there's no well done. He doesn't hold back any punches. And he gets straight to the heart of the matter. Uh, a little bit about Laodicea that this, this letter was to. Uh, Laodicea was built on what was called the, the Lycus River. Uh, the Lycus River Valley is close to the cities of Colossae and Hierapolis. And so as we've gone through this journey, we've done this, this, uh, this circuit where he's gone around Asia Minor. And uh, if you can picture Colosse and Hierapolis, they were kind of like uh, Clinton, would be Colossae to DeWitt and um, Maquoketa would be Hierapolis, about the same distance. They were about 10 to 12 miles away. And so there's this little triangle of cities that were oftentimes grouped together. And they sat in this valley below the mountains. And though Paul had never met them face to face when he wrote the letter, the letters, uh, his letters to the churches, uh, in fact, one of those letters we still have in our Bible called Colossians, um, though he had not met them, Uh, He mentioned Laodicea twice and he asked them to exchange letters to be read uh, in in both of those churches. Um, Laodicea, uh, it was the wealthiest city of this entire region that we've been looking at in these seven churches. It was a a region that was widely known for its different industries. It was known for its banking. It was known for its textile industry. And it was known for its, um, its medicinal industries. They had great pharmacies. Specifically, pharmacies that were good for ophthalmologists. Merv, you would have loved these guys. They would definitely have been on your list when if you were if you were a, a uh, eye doctor in 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 Asia Minor at that time. The people in Laodicea were rich, and they knew it, and uh, they uh, they were very wealthy. Uh, In fact, uh, around A.D. 60, Laodicea suffered, like a lot of these cities and towns, but in A.D. 60, they they suffered an earthquake that just leveled the city. I mean, it just completely destroyed the city. And Rome came to their aid and said, what do you need? We're, We're here to help. You're part of the Roman Empire. And so we will come to your aid and we will help you rebuild. And the people of Laodicea, as rich as they were and as proud as they were about being so rich, rejected the empire's help and said, you know what? We're fine we don't need your help to rebuild and they took out of their own resources and they rebuilt the city to its former glory after this magnanimous earthquake and um, they they refused assistance and they rebuilt the city to all of its former glory on their own and now it's uh it's deserted and uh and it lies uh, to the north of what's now the the modern city of dnesley I've asked uh, Mitch Buddy if he would come and and uh, do the scripture reading for us today. And so, if you would if you would stand with us, and let's look at Revelation chapter three, verses fourteen through twenty-two, as Mitch reads the text for us this morning.
1: To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write: These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have wealth, and do not need a thing. But what you do not realize is you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and save to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with him and he with me to him who overcomes I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
0: Thank you. Please be seated. In each of these letters, uh, Jesus begins by saying these are the words of. It's a statement of thus saith the Lord pay attention, this is important. And as we've noted, each time Jesus picks out some characteristics of Himself that are very important for that church to recognize in their particular context. To Laodicea, Jesus introduces Himself as the Amen, the faithful witness, the beginning or the ruler of God's creation. These are three self-descriptions that shed light on who He is and how He related to their church. And also remember, there are three descriptions that we need to pay attention to of how he relates to you and me and to our church here in DeWitt. First of all, he calls himself the, the Amen. Uh, now we hear that word, and what do we think? Tie you into prayer, right? You know, so he's the end of a prayer, or what's that, what's that mean? Well, it actually comes from, he's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 65. Uh, in these letters, Jesus has quoted, um, quoted Isaiah quite a bit. But uh, the word Amen, it's a Hebrew word. That was translated into Greek, and so we use it in both the Old Testament and New Testaments. And, and the word, it, it literally means truth. It means certainty. When we say amen at the end of a prayer, think very carefully about whether you're going to say amen or not, and think very carefully wh- about whether you've actually listened to what the prayer was, because what you are saying and declaring in your prayer is I agree with the truth of everything that's been said. And so if you say amen and somebody's quoted heresy, you might want to rethink that. Um, amen. It means true. It means certainly. Uh, J- Jesus, when when He was speaking to the, the crowds and preaching every once in a while, He'd say, truly, truly. Literally, He'd say, amen, amen. Pay attention. This is important. Truly, truly, I say to you. And so, uh, in Isaiah, God used this Word and He addresses Himself to a people that in that passage, they thought that they they had it all together. And He addresses Himself to this crowd that figured that they were doing pretty well spiritually. That their walk with Him was right where it needed to be. And so He says this in Isaiah chapter 65. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for Me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek Me. I said, here I am! Here I am! To a nation that was not called by My name. I spread out My hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good. Following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually. later on that passage, he calls himself, the, he calls himself the, the God of Amen, the God of truth." He said that these people were like smoke in his nostrils, and he threatens judgment to them, but, but those that would receive blessing, those that would receive blessing from him must come to him and twice he says i'm the god of truth i'm the god of amen and likewise jesus starts out his letter to the church of laodiceas and he and he and he comes to this church that thought that they were doing really well for themselves they thought everything's everything's doing going great we're walking with jesus we're we're the kind of church that that god wants us all to be but he says you're not no not at all and and he and Jesus wants the church of Laodicea to see Himself as the God of truth, the God of amen, the God of, of certainty, which is how we need to consider Him as well. He's God of truth. And I have to ask myself the question, do we sometimes think, you know, hey, we've got everything all together. As, as a pastor, as a, as a brother in Christ, do I look at my life and go, doing great here. And Jesus is going, uh, sorry man, no, far from it. Jesus is the God of truth. And when He speaks, I need to pay attention to what He's saying to me because it's true. It's certainty. But He also goes on, He calls Himself the faithful one. The true witness. He is to be trusted not only because He is the amen, but also because He is the faithful and true witness. One of my favorite movie courtroom scenes, uh, which I've mentioned before, and I'm sure to mention it again because it is my favorite movie courtroom scene, uh, is uh, from To Kill a Mockingbird. Amazing story. Uh, brilliant book and brilliant movie. I know some of you hate the book, but it's one of my favorites, and so you're just going to have to deal with me here. Um, you know, it's the story of a good man who's defending a falsely accused black man. A- and when he's cross-examined, when he cross-examines the witness, Mela Yule, uh, she testifies lies, just filthy sputtering lies in order to protect her lies. And everyone in the courtroom knows it. Everyone. But because she's white, they hold her testimony above another person who will surely be sentenced to death for something that he didn't do. It's a a brilliant scene and it's masterfully written in the book. And by the time that the jury makes their decision and and declares their verdict, the reader has grown to despise the lies of the Ewell family. Everyone dislikes the man who stands in court and he offers testimony that is full of falsehood. Angie got summoned to jury duty here coming up really quickly. And, and, and I know she's looking forward to getting to court and just hearing someone get, stand up and, and just tell lie after lie. By the time you get to the end of it, you go, this is horrible. And, and, and you hear these falsehoods and, and we despise a witness who testifies for his own ill-gotten gain or for the benefit of one who is clearly in the wrong. Jesus, on the other hand, says, I know the truth. I am the truth. I am the Amen. And He reminds the Laodiceans that He is the one who faithfully testifies to what is true. The Laodiceans need to ask themselves as they're hearing this, if Jesus testifies what is true regarding our church, the DeWitt Evangelical Free Church and the leadership of our church, we need to ask ourselves, if Jesus were to testify today about our church, and if you as an individual and your heart was laid open before God, which it is, and the Holy Spirit shed light on your heart, which He does, and Jesus is the faithful witness and He stood up and testified, would there be something great to commend or would we be in trouble? Jesus said, I'm the faithful and true witness. I'm the true One. But there's a third thing He calls Himself. He says He's the beginning of God's creation. The NIV that misread said He's the ruler of God's creation. There's a reason for that. Uh, it, it's, it's not a statement that He's the first created being. In fact, the Laodiceans have seen the letter of Colossae before, and Jesus teaches the complete opposite of that there, doesn't He? Jesus is the source of all of God's creation. Is the idea behind it. And because He's the source of all of the creation... He's the ruler of all of creation, which is why the NIV translates it that way. Um, and God told them in Colossians chapter one, verses 16 to 17, He said, "For by him all things were created." You hear that? All things. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is a passage that the Laodiceans would have seen before because Clause was commanded to pass that letter on to them. And so Jesus comes before the church of Laodicea and he says, Listen, do you know who I am? Do you know me? I am the truth. And not only am I the truth, but I am the one who faithfully testifies the truth. In fact, I am the source of all of creation. And there is absolutely nothing that you can hide from Me. Nothing. So when I point out what you're guilty of, you better listen. And my friends, we've all looked at each one of these passages, and every time Jesus ends with what words? Anyone who has ears, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so if you have ears, you better be listening. And if you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit regarding these things and going, whoa, man, I am like the church of Sardis. I am like Philadelphia. I need to pay attention to this. And if you're reading the church of Laodicea and you go, wow, he's talking to me. And you remember that Jesus is the true one. And He's the faithful and true witness. And He is the beginning of God's creation. The ruler over all of God's creation. And so Jesus says to you this morning, listen! Know who I am. Pay attention. My friends, we so easily deny our sin, don't we? When we're convicted of it, we make excuses. We start to justify things even. And we keep it from others. Sometimes you even keep it from yourself. But our sin can't be kept from Jesus. And so my friends, it's best just to recognize it. When, when you feel convicted regarding something He's saying, this needs to change. It's best to just say, you know what? <laughs> God, I agree with You. That's wrong. And talk to Him about it. Maybe you're struggling with it. and go, I really want to keep this. I want to hold on to this. Be real about it and say, I'm, I'm struggling, Jesus. Please help me to hate this the way You hate it. And help me to love the things that You love and help me to deny myself here because it's a fight. He already knows. So, so why would we think that we can hide it from Him or conceal it from Him? And He says to the church of Laodicea, just like He says to us, pay attention to this because I'm the true One. I testify faithfully, and I know You because I created everything. He goes on to say, I know Your works. And as we've noted in all of these letters, the next section, He usually offers some commendations where He says, hey, good job. And and he follows the words, I know your works, with some great things. But for the church of Laodicea, he completely skips over that stuff. And he completely blends and combines both sections and goes right into the things that he has against them. There's a couple of things you need to know about um, Laodicea. Uh, Water. It's it's good stuff. And Laodicea was familiar with water. In fact, they had a source of water. You can see it right here. uh, Really ugly kind of cliff and muddy valley uh it runs right through laodicea and right along the side of laodicea and you go wow that looks you know kind of muddy but i I could probably still drink it maybe and you go down and and uh, it it tastes horrible it's nasty stuff but nearby laodicea about 10 miles to the southeast kind of like if you're going to clinton from here if you went over to Colossae, Colossae was also known for its water uh, Colossae had incredible water. It was, it was freshly melted snow that came down out of the mountains. Uh, there were springs there. It was cold. It was clear. It was refreshing. Uh, this water was well-known around Asia Minor. still known in Turkey in this area for just how good this water tastes. Uh, how many of you have ever been to Colorado? Any mountain climbers? Anybody ever go up into the mountains and you come across a creek? Yeah? Nothing like it, is there? Yeah, it's, it's cold. I mean, the snow is just melting. Mean, it's coming right off the mountains. And you're thinking to yourself, Mom said don't ever you know, drink from the river, but this you can because there's no cows above you. There's no deer. It's just tundra. And so you go and you just, you just climb the 14er and you come across the stream and you just fall down and you land on a couple rocks and you stick your face right down in the water. And it's cold and you come up with ice on you. It's just... It's just Freezing, but it's refreshing and clear and oh that's best stuff I've ever had in my life that's what the water from Colossae was like it was amazing and people knew it go back to, to Laodicea and then let's go north a few miles about 12 miles to a city called Hierapolis Hierapolis was also known for its water it was known for its hot water there in Hierapolis they had these hot springs I grew up in between a couple of cities, the Hot Springs in Colorado. Uray, Colorado and Glenwood Springs. And, and once a year, we would make our way to one of those two towns and, and we would go to the Hot Springs. And we'd pay good money just to sit in hot water. You could do that at home in your bathtub, right? No, this is different. These are just beautiful Hot Springs. Doctors would say, hey you need to go to Hierapolis. Your back hurts. Go to Hierapolis. You're under a lot of stress. Go relax and sit in the hot springs at Hierapolis. And you're over in Ephesus and you've been climbing through things and, and, and going up the hills and, and, and participating in all the activities there. And, and then, man, I'm just stiff. Your wife says, just go relax with your friends. Go up to Hierapolis for a weekend. Uh, Hierapolis is well known for its therapeutic baths and and for the, the natural hot springs that, that sat all over the place inside the hills and the valley there. And so, in between Colossae with its cold water and Hierapolis with its hot springs was Laodicea. And if Laodicea, you'd come to, to those, the, that little stream that we were talking about, and, and you'd put your face down that water and you'd take a sip, and what would you do? It was warm, it was tepid, and it tasted sulfuric and minerally. You would spew it out. God, this is gross. And if by chance you actually swallowed the water, it would literally make you sick. The, the minerals in it, the deposits in it, the, the, it, it was almost poisonous. You would drink the water, and, and if you hadn't spewed it out, you would soon be vomiting it out because it was so disgusting and it would literally make you sick. In fact, they had, um, you can see here, this is actually an ancient um, aqueduct. And this aqueduct ran all the way from Colossae where they had those cold springs and the, that, those aqueducts would come and bring fresh water to Laodicea because Laodicea had no source of fresh, drinkable water. And Jesus comes to the church of Laodicea knowing that they know what cold water is and they know what hot water is and both of those are great. They are usable for the right thing. And, and Jesus says... I wish you were cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. In other words, you make me sick. He says that. Uh, look look at that verse again. In, in um, chapter three, verse sixteen, uh, verse fifteen. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's, that's a polite translation. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to vomit you out is literally what he's saying here. You make me sick. You make me want to vomit. You don't want to hear Jesus say those words to you, do you? You see, they understood what Jesus was saying. You know, we we take that verse usually. I, when I was in high school, I used to say, "Well, Jesus is saying we either need to be really hot for Jesus or just reject Him completely. But don't walk the fence in the middle. Just make your decision." That's not the point He's making. Cold water was good. Hot water was good. Lukewarm makes you sick. And Jesus was drawing a picture for the people of Laodicea that He wanted them to understand your sin and your compromise and the way that you think that you're rich and you're proud and you think you're this great. But my friend, He says, you have a lot to work on here. This lukewarm attitude. going to spew you out. Laodicea was also a city that was, again, as I mentioned before, very well known for its riches. And Jesus says to them, For you say, I am rich. I've prospered. You ever hear a Christian like that? Maybe you've been there yourself? Man, I'm right on. I'm walking with Jesus, and this, nothing could be any better. And, and you know in your heart that's not the truth. You say, I need nothing. Not realizing, he says to them, You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow, Jesus is not pulling, he's, he's pulling, not, what's, I'm missing that one up. Pulling punches? He is pulling punches. Not pulling punches. He's not pulling punches. I didn't think about that one beforehand, did I? Anyway, he's not he's not being easy on him, is he? The people were proud and blind to their true spiritual condition and were left in shame as they stood before their Savior. This was a church that was living in the same time as the apostles. I mean, some of these people had met John. Some of them had met Paul when they went up to the church of Ephesus. They knew Timothy and Apollos and, and some of these great leaders and the apostles themselves. And they had become lukewarm. They'd become blind, spiritually just naked. And so Jesus offers some counsel. And I, again, I love this about Jesus. These letters that are harsh like this, it'd be easy to say, man, you make me sick. Bye. But he doesn't do that. In each one of these letters, you know, Jesus is, is, is harsh. But he says, I've got some counsel for you. Let, let's see what we can work on here. Let's see how we can grow and do what's right. And, and, and you need to confess. You need to repent. And, and okay, let's, let's work on this. And so Jesus tells them. He says, I've, I've got some counsel for you. Again, uh, I mentioned this banking system that they had. Uh, They were very well known for their lending systems. Um, They they were a lending center, and and gold was their currency. I mean, you got pocket change, usually, you got silver that's actually, you know, tin or something. Gold was their currency. That's what they worked with. And uh, they, they were rich, they had great wealth, and their financial operations exceeded what you could find anywhere in that area. But Jesus comes to them and he says, Your gold is worthless it's nothing. You need, you need to buy it from Me. I counsel you, He says, to buy gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And you see, Jesus offers true riches that compare with nothing that we have on this earth. We have to ask ourselves, what are, what are the priorities of this life that I am investing in? What is it that makes me tick? What do, I, what do I live for? What do I think, wow, this is, this is what makes me very wealthy? What is it that you find so important? You get up in the morning and it just it drives you. And Jesus says, seek first the Kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things, all these things, they'll be added to you. I'll take care of it all, but first, seek Me. First, spend time here seeking the things that I say will make you rich. First, seek righteousness. And then food? Clothing? Yeah, I know you need all those things. But I'll take care of it. First thing for you though, is you focus on My Kingdom, on My righteousness. You buy your gold from Me. And I will show you what truly makes a man rich. There's another industry that Laodicea was well known for. They were well known for their textile industry. Uh, soft, black wool. This it just makes, it just sounds like, it's like something you'd want to wear. Kay is over there wearing a black sweater. It looks soft. Um, is it comfortable? Kay? Is it a comfortable sweater? That, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of sweater that, that the people of Laodicea had. It was, it was um, people from all over the world would come to Laodicea and they would look for these black cloaks and carpets the cloaks were one of the leading designs that were considered stylish in that day. Their expensive seamless tunics were called tramita. Uh, they were shipped all over the world. In fact, I, was, I looked it up yesterday. I was looking to see how to pronounce tramita. And I came across websites. This is from tramita.com. Uh, Turkey is still well known for its Tremita towels. They're soft and luxurious. They are, uh, they're shipped all over the world even today from, and they're called Laodicean Tremita. They're still known for their black soft wool. The brand is synonymous with soft, luxurious fabrics. But what's Jesus say to them? He says, you guys think you've got everything you need for the right kind of luxury? No, you need to buy your clothes from Me. What do you need from Me? White garments. So that you may clothe yourself and, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. He contrasts, what he offers to them with what their city offers. And he says, what you need are the white robes of my righteousness. And so you come to me for what you need to clothe yourself. Because spiritually, you're naked and you should be embarrassed. But I'll take care of you. So the third piece of counsel that he gives to them. And he again draws from their industries that they're used to. Uh, he takes note of their medicinal industry. You see, in Laodicea, you know, while Colossae was known for its cold water and Hierapolis was known for its high, h- hot water, um, Laodicea was known for their eye salves. They were known for their eye medicines. They had a, a local powder and, and an oil that they combined. For se- and medical practitioners would come from all over and they, they would help failing eyesight. Um, they'd be great for pharmacies. But, but with all that they could do to help people regain their sight... To see clearly, whatever it is they did with eye salves. Do you still do eye salves like that a lot? They still use those every once in a while for the right thing? For all the eye salves were able to do for the people of Laodicea and the people they shipped out their pharmaceuticals to, that could do nothing to heal spiritual blindness. And so Jesus comes to Laodicea and he says, Buy solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And then he says, Those whom I love, I, I reprove and, and discipline. So be zealous and repent. I, you know This is a hard letter, isn't it? There's some pretty harsh things that Jesus says to the church of Laodicea. He, he, he doesn't pull any punches. But He says, look, I love you. I care about you. Like a father and a son, I, I discipline those that I love. Proverbs tells us that you know The modern proverb today is um, spare the rod, spoil the child. Proverbs says you spare the rod, you hate your child. You don't discipline your children, you are demonstrating hate for your own child. And that's not the kind of relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father says, I love you. Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, I love you. And I know this is hard to listen to, but I want you to understand that I'm rebuking you and I'm saying these things because I love you and I I discipline my children because I want them to grow. A a father that doesn't care about his child doesn't discipline them and and then they grow up and and they just continue to do the same things. A father says, I don't want that for my kids. I don't want them to keep on making those same mistakes and to be this person that nobody wants to be around. They end up in prison. I, I I want them to contribute to their society and have a great relationship with their family and to love Jesus Christ. And so a father will discipline his child when he sees things that need to be corrected. And Jesus does the same thing for us. And He's doing the same thing for Laodicea. He says, I, I love you, and so that's why I'm saying these things. So, don't just take it and go, oof, okay, and then keep on doing the same thing. It says to Laodicea, Repent. Repent means to turn around, to, to change your mind about something, and then to act differently. And so if you're hearing some of this stuff that he's writing to Laodicea, to going, oh, wow, that's me. Don't don't walk out of this door and go, okay, see you next Sunday and, and we'll do it over again. Walk out that door and say, what changes today? Because I don't want to be like this church that we're reading about. What changes now? Take Jesus' advice. Buy the gold from him. Clothe your nakedness. Find something that truly helps you to see spiritually. Repent. Change your mind about the sin and then act differently as a result of obeying his word here. And be zealous, passionate about something. Be passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about. And then he, he closes this section with, um, with a statement. Anytime you see the word behold, what's that mean? Pay attention. Look, look, listen, pay attention to this. Verse 20, here's the verse. We quote this all the time. This is one of our favorite Bible verses, but 95% of the times that we quote this Bible verse, we are quoting it out of context. It's not what we usually think it is. We quote this verse about evangelism. We we need to go tell people about Jesus and Jesus wants this relationship with them, but that's not what He's talking about. Who's He talking to? He's talking to one of the churches. And so this is not a verse about evangelism. This is a verse about Christians doing the right thing and having a relationship with Jesus. And Pastor Daryl Benhorf he calls this, this verse the strange excommunication. The strange excommunication. Because here is a church that is rank with Sin. It's in need of discipline and in need of some of their members to be put out of the church. There were people in Laodicea that said, hey, I'm a great Christian, and they didn't even know Jesus Christ. And that sin was permeating the church and everyone, uh, well, I don't know if everyone, but the church as a whole was, had some issues. And some of the members of their church, they needed to be excommunicated. They needed to be dismissed from the membership of their church. But instead, it was Jesus that had been thrown out the door. Listen to what He says. Jesus says to them in verse 20, He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. That word knock there, it means I keep on knocking. I'm still here. Rather than throw out the people that were walking in sin, they threw Jesus out. Jesus is the one standing outside the door and He knocks and He knocks and He knocks. And here's the challenge that Jesus offers. He says, if Anyone hears my voice. Laodicea, DeWitt, you. If you hear my voice and you realize that I'm on the outside, open the door. He doesn't kick it down. He may keep on pounding and you might not be able to go to sleep. But he's not gonna he's not gonna kick it down and 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 he's waiting for an invitation. If anyone hears My voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. And there's this beautiful invitation here. It says, if anyone hears His voice, anyone who hears His rebuke and His call to repentance, for the one who hears His promises and His commands, He asks you to open the door so that He may enjoy an intimate family dinner with you. Jesus will only get as close as you'll let Him get. And so what's coming in between us? What sin is hindering your worship? What do you hold on to that's more important than Him? What is it that you think makes you spiritually rich, but actually is the cause of making you spiritually blind and destitute? But it's a wake-up call. Unbelievably, after all that, Jesus still offers a promise to the overcomer. You see, they're believers in the church. This church was not doing well. But they're believers in the church. And he offers a promise to the overcomer. Uh, in, in your bulletin today, there's um, our verse of the week. I'll just put a verse here for just to encourage you for think, think about top of your worship service. 1 John chapter. 5, verses 4-5. to Listen to what John says about the overcomer. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Do you hear that same word? There it is. There's the victor. There's the conqueror. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it? Here, he asks us, who is it? that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. How are you an overcomer? Are you an overcomer if you perfectly obey all the commands in these seven letters? No. We want you to. Jesus wants you to. He wants you to grow in these things. But you are an overcomer if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you have trusted Him for the salvation of your sins based on what He did on the cross as He became your substitute. Then you are an overcomer. And He offers you these promises to motivate you to godly living. Not, not that you would be a perfect person that, that becomes an overcomer because you've worked your way to salvation, but because He's already given you salvation, now I want to honor Him with my life. And I, because I'm an overcomer, and because I have these promises that are already mine, that should motivate me to want to obey the things that He's commanded. And so Jesus offers a promise of intimacy to the one who is truly a believer. Now, I want you to understand this: if you come to church regularly and you play Christianity, perhaps you know that Jesus died for your sin. You know He died on the cross, and maybe you might even know He died for your sin. You got it. You figured that out. You believe it's true. He died for sinners. Perhaps you've even made a claim to some decision at some point in your life. I walked down an aisle. I raised my hand when the pastor asked me. I said a prayer, and I said the words. And your faith is in the words that you said, rather than the, the the Son of God that you claims to have believed in. But there are some who have never truly recognized that their sin, that their sin, actually separated them from Him. And you never truly placed your reliance, all of your reliance, upon Him for your eternity and for your forgiveness. It's not an issue of just getting it right here. There's a common phrase that a lot of people are 18 inches away from heaven. They've got it in here, but it hasn't made it to the heart. A lot of people miss heaven by 18 inches. They figured it out, and they know the facts. They know that Jesus died on the cross. They know that Jesus died for sinners. They even know that they're a sinner, but they've never come to Him and said, God, I, I, I am a sinner, and I need your grace. And I'm trusting You. I'm putting all of my faith on You. If you're here and you've never truly recognized that your sin separates you from Him and you've never truly placed all your reliance upon Him for your eternity, if you've never come to Him for forgiveness, and I want you to understand that this promise is not for you. But He offers it to you. He offers it to you if you would recognize your need, and believe on Him. It's an open invitation. To those who are overcomers, to those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, He does make a promise. If you are genuinely a Christian then He offers you this, He says, one day, one day, I will give you the opportunity you ready for this? I mean, this, is, this has been a tough letter, but He's going to compensate here at the end for what the promise is. You ready? He'll give you the opportunity to sit on His throne. You hear that? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Him to forgive you, The promise that He offers to you is to one day sit and rule with Him. Do you know that, Christian, that you will judge angels one day? Jesus is going to delegate to you. What happens? I'm putting you in charge. Heaven or hell? You'll make those decisions. Does that blow your mind? These beings that are so much greater than us, you... Will judge the, You will sit on the jury and say guilty, not guilty. One day you will rule with Him and sit on His throne. Jesus will share His rule over the nations of this earth and He offers to you an opportunity to participate by His side as He reigns over all. What an amazing, gracious God that we have. Do we deserve that? Does the church of Laodicea deserve that sort of promise. And yet, He offers it to the true believer. And this kind of promise should motivate you to godly living. When you realize that one day I will judge the angels, and I will determine their eternity because I rule with Christ. And you will judge rightly. One day that you will rule over the nations with Him, when I consider that, that should motivate me to say, "Wow." There's some things that need to get in order, and I want to walk with him. I want to be zealous for him. And when it comes to the sin that he reveals and opens up, I go, ah! Oh, okay, let's get this in order. Let's do the right thing here. These promises should cause me to say, I want to walk with him. My friends, Jesus wants you to share, he wants to share with you in his glory that is his, he wants you to participate in the joy that is his. He wants your ultimate well-being because that well-being is going to result in bringing Him glory. And He wants to share it with you. He wants he shares and He wants you to be a part of it. And if you are a Christian, then you are and you will be. But each one of us needs to ask, as a result of that, how are things looking right now? Let's take inventory. And can it be said of me? Would Could Jesus, the true witness, could He say of me, You are lukewarm. Are you just living the mediocre Christian life? Then stop it. Quit Quit settling for mediocrity when He offers you the riches of heaven, the robes of His righteousness, the opportunity to truly see and to live life that is full. And we need to ask, am I approaching Him for every need? And I ask you, are you spending time before the throne of grace? Are you pouring your heart out in prayer to Him? Because He's given you the opportunity to walk right into His His Oval Office, His throne room, and say, come talk with me. Sit on the couch. What's up? Let's talk. Do you love His Word? And These are words from the God of the universe that says everything that you need for your life, everything that you need to live a godly life on this earth, it's right here. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Here. And how many of us go, eh, next Sunday? Are you seeking first His righteousness? God wants you to experience the fullness of life that He offers. He wants you to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, The forgiveness of sins. May You go with His blessing. May You respond to His rebukes. And this morning, may You cling to His promises. Jesus, we thank You for Your words. These haven't been very easy words today, Jesus. (laughs) We've we've read this letter and ouch. And, And not only are we going ouch for the Laodiceans, but some of us right now, we're feeling it. And we're going, oh, there's... There's some lukewarm here. And we hear Your rebuke and we are recognizing our blindness. We're recognizing the shameful nakedness that we are sitting before You and we need You. We need You to give us Your riches. We need You to give us Your robes of righteousness. We need You to help us to see. Father, I pray that that when we see those areas where that lukewarm condition exists, when we see things that we go, wow, I I thought I had it all figured out here, but I'm, I'm not. I pray that we would take Your advice and that we would repent, that we would be zealous for what is true and good, and that we take Your promises and might they motivate us to living a life that would honor You, the praise of Your glorious grace. Amen.